Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for being with us this morning. I know there's a lot of places you could choose to be on a Sunday morning, yet you chose to be here. I'm grateful and I'm thankful, and, and uh, it's going to be fun to get into the Bible a little bit. We're in this series called Songs We're Singing. Uh, looking at the book of Psalms, it's a long, long, large book, but there's a lot of lyrics in it that are worth singing, and we're going to dive into some of them this morning. The book of Psalms is divided into 150 chapters. And those 150 chapters are further divided into five books. And those five books mirror the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Book one of Psalms uh, it encompasses chapters 1 through 41. Book two of Psalms encompasses chapters 42 through 72. And we've looked at, at Psalms over the past few weeks from both of those sections. Book three of Psalms uh, encapsulates chapters 73 through 89, and we're going to look at some of those this morning. Book four contains chapters uh, 90 through 106, and book five contains chapters 107 through 150, and they all cover different themes. Uh, and so jumping in today, we're in book three, so chapters 73 through 89, and we're not going to go through all the chapters, but I want to take snippets of a few different ones and look at some songs from the book of Psalms that are worth singing. Book three mirrors the Old Testament book of Leviticus, the third book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Leviticus in the Old Testament uh, really concerns itself with the law uh, it, it feels very, what you, we would say, liturgical. In other words, really churchy. Uh, and it focuses on the worship of God by God's people in the Old Testament temple as they gathered together for corporate worship. I want to note something right up front. In Old Testament times, the building, in other words, the temple, was really, really important. Because it was the dwelling place of God. God said, I will dwell amongst my people in this one little room called the Holy of Holies. And that's where I will visit my people. And so the temple in the Old Testament was really centrally uh, important. And the focus of all of Israel's religious life and practice. Now, these days, it's all different. It's the whole flip side of what it used to be. It's just God flipped it upside down. So now, whereas then God dwelt in a place in the temple and people could go there, now God's dwelling is not in a building. The Bible says that through Jesus, God dwelt amongst men. That God took his dwelling. One transliteration of the Bible says, he moved into our neighborhood. He became, he took on human form, became that of a man and lived with people in Jesus. God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Even more so now after Jesus' death and resurrection that we just celebrated with communion, the Bible says that God has left us with his spirit so that those of us who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus 
have God's spirit with us now 24-7. So we don't have to go to a place to be with or near him. He has come to us, first in the life of Jesus and now in this very spirit to be with us. So now, instead of the building being the important thing, now it's different. Now, buildings are the lowest thing on God's priority list. And it's so interesting to me, as a pastor, the crazy thing is how much we've messed this up. I mean, so many of us pastors and so many churches put so much focus on the, on the building, on the location, on the campus. And that's why there's so much focus on, dare I say it, coffee shops and fountains. <laughs> and it seems as though that the thing that churches want to raise the most money for is not missions, it is not church planting. It, it, it's, to, it's to what? Build a bigger, bigger building. Which I understand. If you've got to have a bigger building for more people, Fantastic. But sometimes, doesn't it feel this way? Sometimes it feels like the way we say, the tail's wagging the dog. And so, so, so in God's economy, in God's plan, buildings are the lowest thing on the ladder. Like, property exists so that programs can be run. And the reason why programs are run is so people can fulfill the purposes of God. See, the purposes of God are the most important thing, and people exist to fulfill the purposes of God. And programs exist so people can fulfill the purposes of God. And the only reason property exists is so programs can run so people can fulfill the purposes of God. You understand that? We got it? And that's the thing I love about what God's doing. So we ought never be enthralled with the building. Now, if we were living in Old Testament times, absolutely. The, the building's really important. But we're not. So the buildings are only as important as they are places where people can fulfill God's purposes. And this is why it's okay for us to do churches in public schools. When we're there doing church, when we're in the public school doing church, it becomes the house of the Lord. It becomes God's place. And so I just want to set that up in, in understanding that though if you were to read this section of Psalms on your own, it would feel very churchy and there's a lot of focus on the temple. It's for a purpose. But I want us to understand now, as far as the locations come from, it's very, very different. And so let's jump into book three of Psalms. Book three of Psalms, verse, uh, chapter 73 through 89. The first section I want to look at is, is in Psalm 73. And if you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to the middle of the Bible. You'll probably be in the book of Psalms. And then I trust that from wherever, wherever you are in the book of Psalms, you can find number 73. But all the things that we'll look at are also on our app as well. <clears throat> and so you can follow along there also. Psalm 73, uh, verse 28. Look, at, look what the Bible says. Psalm 73, verse 28. <clears throat> but for me... It's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. This psalm, Psalm 73, was written, we, 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 we understand, from someone named Asaph. And Asaph, get this, he was a musician in the temple. And so this is literally songs <clears throat> that are worth singing. 
I want you to consider what he says. He says, for me, it is a good thing to be near God. It's a good thing. And, and, and please understand what he's saying. He's, he's not saying it's good for me to be near God on the golf course. I, I don't know how you could be near God on a golf course anyway. That, to me, just seems like a really good walk that's spoiled. Yeah. Amen. So, I, I'm, but he doesn't say it's good for me to be near God, you know, at the lake. Not anymore in California, there, there's no water in the lakes anyway. And so, when he says it's good for me to be near God, what he's talking about is it's good for me to be near God where God is, in the place of God, in essence, in worship. That's what he's saying. It's good for me to be near God. Now remember, this was written by a musician in the temple. So when he says near God, what he's saying is, I'm at church, I'm in worship, I'm around his word, and around his people. And that is good. It's good for us. The New Testament would go further and says that, the best thing we can do is to be near God with our whole heart and soul and mind and strength. It's good for us. See, here's what happens. I want, I want you to understand how this works. When I am near God, it's natural for him to be the one that I run to when I'm in trouble. You understand? I mean, some of us have been there. We've been far away from God, and we feel far away from God, and then we get in trouble... And we got to go looking for him. We got to go find him. And for those who are near God, when they get in trouble, <coughs> excuse me, it's real easy to find because I'm near him. <coughs> if I could do this, if someone can bring me a, a, a cup of water, <coughs> a gallon of water, um, I would really appreciate it. Don't be afraid. It's not COVID. It's weather change and all kinds of coaching that's going on. Um, but here's what I know. That when we're in trouble, if we're near God, he's real easy to find. And I think you would agree with me at this point that there's been a lot of trouble in the last year and a half. Would you agree with me? Watch what's happened. In the last year and a half, there's been a lot of trouble. It's good for me to be near God because then he's easily found when I'm in trouble. But what's happened over the last year and a half is that when people have been in trouble, they've turned to a lot of things other than God. Do you understand? Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. I was looking at some stuff online about where people turned in the past year and a half to deal with the trouble we've been in. Here's what I found. Opioid overdoses have skyrocketed in America because yep. yep. people have been in trouble. Heavy drinking, now they, 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 heavy drinking amongst women have gone up 41% over the past year and a half. Some of you know that. <laughs> Online porn, or last year and a half, has gone up 18%. Cigarette use that had been on a steady decline, 4 to 5% every year, has actually increased by 1%. Here's what I know. 
Oftentimes, when we get in trouble, we're so near other things other than God, we naturally turn to those other things rather than God. And those things create a lot more trouble. And the Bible says it's good to be near God. Why? Because when we are near God and we get in trouble, he becomes our refuge. In other words, our shelter in times of trouble. And when God is our refuge in times of trouble, the outgrowth of that is that we get to see him do things. We get to see God do things that opioids cannot do. We get to see God do things that alcohol cannot accomplish. We get to see God bring something to a life that pornography cannot fulfill. See, coming near to God is not just a religious thing. Coming near to God is actually good for us. In, in, at Flipside, we talk a lot about our huddle. Those 8 to 15 people that are, that are close to us, that we have relationship with or authority with. And it ebbs and flows a little bit depending on this, the, the, the time of the season of life or or, or season of the calendar, but generally there's eight to 15 people that we have somewhat close to us. Um, and, and those eight to 15, we call them our huddle, are really, really important. And actually some of those people that you have in your huddle know God and are near him. And some of those people in your huddle are far from him. And I just want to pause right now and encourage you that if you have people in your huddle that are not near God, Invite them to church. They'll start learning how to get to know him, as will you. But here's what happens. Those people in our huddle, when trouble comes, the Bible in the Psalms tells us, go to God first. But here's what we do. We often go to our huddle first. You understand? Something happens, and immediately we got to start, hey, I need a bot. This happened, that happened. Or we start posting, or we start meeting and and God, I think sometimes God's on the perfect going, hello. Like, it goes much better if you can. I, yeah, like, go to your huddle, that's fine. But go to them after you've come to me. You, you, you understand? And make sure that you've got people in your huddle that are pointing you to God. Because inevitably, we'll all have people in our huddle who point us to other things. That's okay. We, we need to have them in our huddle because... We need to share God with them. That's why they're in our huddle. But we have to have other people in our huddle who tell us, go to God first and then let's talk. See, when God is our refuge and we're near him, the place we run when we're scared and worried and anxious and frustrated, those places that we run when we're hurting and when we're offended, God promises that when we run to him in those times, we will be able to tell of all his works. Now, I want you to understand the implied promise. The implied promise of being able to tell of all God's works when we run to him in trouble because we're near him, here's the promise. God's promise is that God will work on my behalf. How can we tell of his works if he hasn't first worked on our behalf? Do you understand? 
So the implied promise is not just that drawing near to God is good for us, but the implied promise is that is that God will work on our behalf when he is our refuge, when we are near to him. See, God wants to intervene. God desires to intervene on behalf of his kids. But oftentimes God waits until we run to him as our refuge before we go to other people, other things, other substances, other avenues. He says, you come to me first, and I will gladly intervene. So that's a little bit of a song we're singing from Asaph, a temple musician. But there's another song we're singing in this book three of Psalms, and it's in Psalm 81. 13 through uh, 14. And again, written by the same man, this musician. And he says, oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. He's kind of talking on behalf of God. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. What he's reminding us of is this, that God tells us there's always blessing when we listen to God. When we discover what God has said by going to his word and we pay attention to what he said by considering its truth as important and then we do what he said by obeying what he reveals and as he reveals more, we do obey more. Here's what he wants us to understand, that God always blesses and rewards obedience, always. And so when he says it's in Psalm 73, it's good for me to be near God, I'll get to tell of all he does. He then reminds us in Psalm 81 that God always blesses our obedience when we stay near God. Do you understand? And he starts to turn his hand against our foes. The troubles that we find ourselves in. The problems that we've created for ourselves. Songs we're singing, man. Draw near to God, stay near to God go to him in trouble, he starts turning his hand to your favor. Now watch this. I'm going to wrap this up with Psalm 86. 86. Psalm 86 was not written by Asaph. This was written by David. And King David was probably the most successful king of all the kings of Israel. He was, he was, he was a warrior poet. I mean, he, he killed bears and lions with his bare hands. He killed a big old giant. And then he wrote these, this incredible poetry. He's a great musician. He was a lover of life and, unfortunately, a lover of women. <laughs> he was an incredible leader that God never took his hand off of, but he went through some hell on earth. And, and, and it's this whole, this, this whole picture of what he was as a man that he brings to his faith and to his experience of God. And I want you to see what David says in Psalm 86. David says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give me your strength or give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. I want you to notice something about this prayer, this song we're singing. David has troubles. David has problems. David has people against him. But his prayer is not for vengeance over his enemies. 
His prayer is not that God would move against his enemies at all. His prayer has nothing to do with his troubles nor his enemies. His prayer is simply, God, grant me favor. That's his prayer. Regardless of what others do to me, regardless of the season of life I find myself in, and even regardless of what I have done, be so favorable to me, it puts to shame the problems and the enemies that are against me. It's a beautiful prayer. Have you ever heard this, that there's no greater response to your enemies than success? Yeah. You ever heard that? Yeah. I mean, in a, in, a, in a real human way, that's what David's praying to here, honestly. But especially for those who have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. God promises mercy and grace. Please understand that. His promise to those who are his is mercy and grace. And the writer of this psalm, David, he says, God, you are merciful, and God, you are gracious. In other words, he says, God, your very character and your nature is mercy, and it is grace. David says, even for someone like me, who has failed you time and time and time again, your character and your nature are mercy and grace, and God will never act outside of his character and nature. See, here, let me just explain this to you. And this is what we, this is how we say it at Flipside. This is what we believe at Flipside. If you're kind of new to this environment, if you're going to be around us any length of time, you've got to get used to this part. The idea of mercy and grace actually bothers religious church people. It really bothers religious people and churchy people. Because here, here, here's, here's what I mean. Religious people, they like mercy and grace when it's mercy and grace for people like them who in their estimation haven't really messed up too badly it's strange to me as I understand the Bible understand God's character and nature to understand the very definition of mercy and the very definition of grace are only for those who don't deserve mercy and grace and so for the religious people who think they're not deserving of God's favor. They don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve God. That's exactly who does deserve it. And if anybody thinks themselves so good that I don't need God's mercy and grace, fine, you've just excluded yourself from it. The way we understand mercy is like, let me just say it like this. This is something you need to understand. Grace is liberating for the unrighteous and threatening for the self-righteous. Grace is liberating to the unrighteous and it's threatening to the self-righteous. See, for the unrighteous, we say, absolutely, God, I'm not worthy of your favor. Can I please have it anyway? Undeserved. And the self-righteous say, hold on, God, I'm better than them. They don't deserve it. I do because I've been better. And it threatens them. You understand how this works? See, Flipside is not a religious church. Someone asked me when I first moved out here to the ranchos. Uh, they said, oh, you're a religious man. I said, oh, no, bite your tongue. Bite your tongue. I'm not a religious man. 
Um, so here's the thing. We're not a religious church because we don't expect God to be good to us because we deserve it nor have worked for it. That's not our expectation. Flip side relies on mercy and grace because we know that we don't deserve it. Does it make sense? You understand? We know what we deserve. And it's only by God's mercy and grace that he's withheld everything that we deserve. So here's, here's, here's the fact. God gives us what we don't deserve, mercy and grace, and holds back from us what we do deserve, judgment and condemnation. Do you understand? And so I said I would develop a prayer for all of these psalms we're going through. So let me share with you the prayer that I developed from this, from this passage. Here's the prayer. I'd encourage you to, to know this and make it part of a, a daily prayer time. It just goes like this. It's, it's just based on the Bible what we've just read. God, it is good for me to be near you. I will declare your good works. Help me to listen to you. Thank you that you are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love toward me. Even though I don't deserve it, be gracious to me. Show me your favor. Real simple biblical prayer. And here's the beautiful thing about these psalms. The writer experiences trouble and people attack him. But there's no expectation that God take up his case against anyone. All he does is ask God to be gracious to him. Though he probably doesn't deserve it. And because of God's mercy and grace, he says, I expect you to be so good to me that your blessing on my life would make others who are against me ashamed. Isn't that amazing? Well, I mean, wouldn't that be great? If God were so over the top, merciful and gracious to us, even when we don't deserve it, that it would put to shame those who are against God and his people. Here's the thing. As we draw near to God and stay near to him by faith, and as we rely on God's mercy and his grace for our blessing, not on our righteousness, not on our behavior, and as we learn how to live rightly before him, not so that God will bless, but because he has already blessed, he continues to bless. This has nothing to do with God's hand moving against those who are against you. Has nothing to do with you getting even or getting ahead. This has nothing to do with anyone other than ourselves. And how we rely on God's mercy and God's grace in spite of ourselves. And in rather than trying to be good enough. Here's the secret. It's in living in and by God's mercy and grace that we live in and by God's mercy and grace. It's not by living by a set of rules. It's not by living by the do's and don'ts of religion. That is strict religion and it will wear us out. So the Bible says, come near to God. It is good for us. He will gift us with his spirit to be alongside us and within us. And as we stay near to God and listen to his voice, 
and begin to understand his word, then we just freely live at the direction of his voice in this orbit of mercy and grace. And at flip side, at this church, we want to help, I want to help you learn how to be near God. And we want to help you better understand how to live in his mercy and by his grace, not following a list of rules. And so better understand his word and his heart and his character. And ultimately experience what Jesus said, the reason he came. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to tell you something. When we try to live by religious rules, it is not abundant living. Do you understand? And when we learn the secret of living by mercy and grace, life begins to become free. Life in abundance. On this earth, even during a pandemic, and certainly abundant life in the world to come. And so we pray. And I invite you to pray this with me right now. If it helps you kind of center down and close your eyes, do that. I'll say these prayers. You let it bubble up in your heart. You agree with me in prayer. And just say what the Bible's instructed us to say. God, it is good for me to be near you. I will declare your good works. Help me to listen to you. Thank you that you are merciful and thank you that you are gracious. Thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in love towards me. And even though I don't deserve it, God be gracious to me. And even though I don't deserve it, show me your favor. Father, I thank you that you love us with an unconditioning, unbounding love. And I thank you that you've drawn us and invited us into your presence where we will find mercy and grace. Thank you that you are slow to anger. God, show us your favor. In this time and in this place, we draw our hearts near to you where it is good for us to be. And I ask that in this moment and in the days that come, that you just simply show us your favor. In your name I pray, amen.